Welcome TTB community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the effervescent Robert Domena. Effervescent. Thank you. So today our guests are Javon and Jean Harley, who run the tour company Advantage International. Their tour company aims to, it, well, it, it aims for cultural diversity and a full historic incorporation of the tours or into their tours and the, the at least initially and still ongoing, the, it revolves around black travel and how the lack of black travel in the travel industry um, is an issue. And they're aiming to fix that problem. So this conversation was really informative, very insightful. It was a really fun conversation to have. Elliot and I learned a ton. So we really hope you enjoy this one. Now, the travel tip of the week is learn how to say some basic greetings and questions in the languages that you or in the in the culture that you visit things like hello and please and thank you and where's um, the bathroom where's the bathroom go a really really long way especially if you're venturing out into more rural areas so either write them down on your phone like i have or take a small book with you um anything that you can do to to help increase or the your, traveler's blueprint travel planner and journal mm, there you go right in there nice 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 uh <laughs> incorporation there so and speaking of check out some of the other cool things we offer the traveler's blueprint offers a travel journal and planner that is available for $7.99 on our website it is a pdf so you can fill it out online or in paper and it is completely reusable we also offer a become your own travel agent five-part video tutorial part one is navigation two is booking airfare three blogs research and reviews four itinerary building and five safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. You can find that on our website, and it is $25. We also offer travel consulting. So for more information on that, go to our website and feel free to send us a DM on social media or an email. Lastly, you can join us, and if you want to, you can you can be a part of our Travel Around Table series. That's where we sit down with a group of of travelers send us your email with your name your website and a few travel related topics that you enjoy discussing and we will get back to you welcome to the traveler's blueprint start designing your next adventure podcast well thank you so much for having us we're excited to be here we're excited to have you as well and just a little bit of background on you, if you don't mind, you guys are focusing on black travel and some of the misconceptions associated with black travel. Can you give us some background on how you got into this and why you're promoting it? Oh, well, certainly. Um, it, I think primarily because of who we are, who our family and friends are. And I started in the travel industry, I won't say how long ago, because uh, it was quite some time. <laughs> uh, but it, it gave us the, the information that we needed and the energy that we needed and the inspiration to start our own business and to focus on the Black traveler. Whenever we would travel, uh, sometimes because of our job, uh, sometimes just for personal, our friends and family would be uh, so enamored by what we were doing. And, and they always finished with, we would love to travel. We have the means to travel, but we're a little apprehensive to do it on our own. So that was the inspiration to say, let's start a company and let's focus on the Black Traveler. And what is the name of your company? Advantage International. Okay. All right. And so you said there was an apprehension for black travel. 
do you have you identified the root cause of that apprehension? Uh, some of it was just fear of getting out of your comfort zone, uh, but the other reason was feeling like you're in a fishbowl when they did travel even domestically and sometimes joining other scheduled programs or groups being the only black traveler uh, that gives you that fishbowl kind of feeling and some of the questions that you would get some of the looks that you would get and and some of the hostility that you would get hmm. yeah we had we had one guest on earlier this year and she did a hike through wisconsin it was the ice age trail and mm -hmm. she was fairly young, I'd say mid to late twenties, black female and part of the LGBT community. And a, a lot of the questions focused around her doing that hike solo as a black female traveler. And she's very much like you, she wants to dispel some of those misconceptions and show that it is safe. But she did get a lot of questions associated with what it was like to be a black traveler and a female traveler. And yeah. So you get a lot of that and we hear a lot of it too. Luckily for both of us, our history and our background both together and individually include a lot of travel. I mean, I had a great aunt who passed away at 107 who had been around the world three times all the way back on the Pan Am Clipper before World War II. Wow. We were lucky enough to grow up in families where travel was an element of it. And it wasn't just travel in the United States because if you grew up in, in the South or in different areas, travel in the United States could have been precarious. So a lot of times it was travel around the rest of the Americas, Europe, Asia, and other things like that. And Javon and myself both spent time overseas in different places. Javon was a foreign exchange student. So we had the opportunity to do that. And we continued it when we got together. We continued traveling around the world. And we had the admiration of friends and others who wanted to do it also, but would feel much more comfortable if they were traveling in a group. And a lot of African-Americans feel that way. And, and so are there groups now that are designed specifically for black travelers that help people, I guess, is it figure out the logistics of it and then maybe help those people answer questions why, you know, regarding safety? Yes, absolutely. And we're one of those companies and our our focus is on the black traveler. Uh, we cater more to an upscale uh, black traveler uh, between Gen X and boomers. Um, and, and yes, because the traveler then knows that I'm going with a group of people who are like me, I'm not going to feel like I'm bombarded and I won't be bombarded with those questions because there's a similarity, there's camaraderie, and it becomes a travel family. There's a sense of comfort. We become very protective uh, with e each other. And we also focus on the aesthetics of the Black traveler. Culturally speaking, what are you going to look for when you go to a destination? What's going to appeal to the Black traveler? Not that there aren't some things that are going to appeal to any other traveler or aren't going to appeal to any other traveler, but we make sure that we cater to their needs as well. That's, this, you just piqued my interest. That's something that's very interesting to me. So um, obviously being a white guy, uh, my when I look back and reflect on the history of my ancestors, I inevitably end up on these colonial times, right? The, the the imperialists. And so that's where my history lies. And that's where when you go to Europe, what you end up learning about. Um, and so for a black traveler who 
isn't tied to that history, not only isn't tied to that history, but um, has suffered because of that history. You know, the ancestors have suffered because of that history. What, historically speaking, I guess, where where would a black traveler focus without having to immerse themselves in a in a history that's dark for for them? Well, in many cases, we share the same history. African-Americans still are Americans too. So there's a number of elements that we look for when we travel to different places. But our desire to travel internationally may match more of the diaspora, the black experience of leaving Africa and going to places around the world. And although a lot of people don't think about it in the general market or in the European American community, that aspect of travel exists everywhere in the world. You can go to Spain and you can go to Italy. You can go to any parts of Europe, most parts of Africa, Asia, and, and of course, all of the Americas. And there's an African experience that's part of it. A lot of people don't even think about it. I mean, even here in the United States, mm -hmm. I was just looking at people reading the plaque of Dusabo, a French African who found Chicago or at least named it and got it started. So there's more things are in there. There's aspects of every place. You can talk about going to Spain mm -hmm. and talk about the Moors and the influence of the Moors, but also the African trade influence there. We're getting more into the fact that Africans were part of England and Great Britain as far back as the Tudor uh, era. So, you know, you have aspects of it. And a lot of us going home includes going for African-Americans to Africa. West Africa, South Africa, all these places so we can learn about those cultures. We go for different reasons than Europeans who may go there for the hunting or maybe the wine country in South Africa. We're going for a cultural experience. And we do the same even in places like Egypt, where people don't think about the Nubian influence is what brought Egypt combined together, the North mm -hmm. and the South, 5,000 years ago. I, I also want to add that we also look for an inclusive history. Um, as you mentioned, you said, how do we identify with a history that doesn't, uh, I don't think you said include us, but will maybe speak to us, but that history should include Africans and African-Americans. And that's a big problem in the travel industry is that even when you go to Africa, when you go to Zimbabwe, for example, um, you're learning about the European rule. You're not learning about the, the great African civilizations. So there's an underlying problem in the travel industry as a whole that when you look at brochures uh, and when you do tours, there's a complete exclusion of Africans and African-American history as it relates to history at large. And that's one thing that we look for. For example, we're planning a program to Spain in October, but we've connected with historians who are also going to uh, help us design our program that's going to include African and African-American history in Spain. We forget that you know the, the, the slave trade started in uh, Portugal and then followed by Spain. Uh, yet, because the United Kingdom or Great Britain was there last or part of it <laughs> last, they get all the, <laughs> the, the blame for it. But it was all of Europe economically that was built largely in part because of the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah, that, that's, that's 
it's fascinating to me. You know, I I grew up looking at history through this colonial lens, and so there's now so much for me to learn. Um, and and going into Africa, or is there a way to trace the history back? And there is there. Sure, there is. Uh, it's there are programs and there's information available on there. Now, if you're talking about genealogy, it's a different situation because most African Americans are going to be a combination of different areas. It's sort of like saying you say you're Irish American, but don't try to pick one town because you, if your family is married into the Irish community in Chicago or Boston or Philadelphia, then that may be a combination of Northern Ireland, Eastern Ireland, Protestant, Catholic, or whatever. The same thing exists in Africa. Most African-Americans in the United States, in North America, will be coming from the Western part of Africa, from anywhere as far uh, as uh, Senegal, all the way down to the Gabon, and all the way east-west, going east all the way over to Mali and Nigeria and all these places. But a lot of these places didn't have those names back then, the villages and everything. Mm -hmm. Africa is 52, 54 nations but most of them were named in the last 100 to 200 years by European countries. Mm -hmm. When the Pope allowed everybody to split up Africa and take it and Africa became the breadbasket and the money basket for all of the world, especially for the European countries and the Americas. So when you go there, you're actually going and you're looking at not so much countries, but villages and people and learning all that. We do a lot of people to people exchange programs when we're on our trips there. Mm -hmm. So when we go to East Africa or West Africa, we're looking at the culture. We're not so much, we're still going to do the things like going on the safaris, photo safaris. Mm -hmm. We're not 100% photo <laughs> safaris. But we're going to do more directly people to people activities. We're going to meet the people of the different villages. We'll do a naming ceremony. We have people from other cultures and other groups, and including indigenous people from the Americas, who when they travel with us say, wow, I would have never known about all this. We have European Americans, whites, who say, my God, this is a much more in-depth version of this country. And I've been here before. We've had people follow us in museums because our guides are talking about things that they didn't learn. And even in France, when we did the Black Paris tour, we had the tour guides taking notes because our tour guide was talking about things they didn't know existed in their own city. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what's fascinating. When, Javon, you were talking about that earlier about curating that Black history in different places. It is, you can find different things about cities that you would never have found before. And I think that Black history in those European cities and the influence of the Black diaspora throughout the world is something that very few people, especially white individuals or Caucasian individuals like Bob and myself would know about. And we have, we have a friend that lives in Philly who has done these Black history tours of Philadelphia and he he loves doing them because he feels like he's always teaching people new things about Philadelphia that they had no idea about because everyone learns about the Liberty Bell and, you know, Museum of Modern Art, but nobody knows about the Underground Railroad network that was in Philadelphia. And then people start to learn about it. And like there was so much more that was happening. And it is an entire culture that was not erased from history, but just not it was more of a. a paragraph instead of a novel that it just wasn't shared as prevalently no you're you're absolutely right and and so we don't say that 
we do black history tours. And that's why we say we cater to um, and, and we curate programs for the black traveler because we look for an inclusive history. Uh, and, you know, for example, we, uh, I was in New Orleans, I was on a, a trade um, uh, exposition and I was with other travel professionals and I was the only black professional there and we, at the time and we were taking this particular tour and the guide included black history in the, the, in, the, in the tour. And as I looked around, I could see how uncomfortable everyone became except myself. And, and he didn't say this is black history. He gave the history of the town and made it inclusive. And that's what I found so beautiful about it. But I did notice how everyone became so uncomfortable. Do you find that people are more uncomfortable in the US or internationally? I find it both. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I find it in, in both because I've been on uh, programs in Europe as well, where, uh, and again, usually when we go to trade functions, uh, there are large uh, travel trade expos where we go to educate ourselves, to connect with um, suppliers and to build our programs. And, and so a lot of times when we're on these, they have post or pre or post what we call fam trips. And uh, when we're on those sometimes, and, and sometimes they will include a piece of black history. Uh, again, I notice everyone either looks away or somehow tunes out, or it, it's a very interesting <laughs> thing to see. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yes, people become uncomfortable all over. Mainly the people who become uncomfortable are the, are the, are the Americans on the program. So if you're talking about the people in other countries, how comfortable or uncomfortable they are with it. I find that the people, uh, the, the Americans seem to be more uncomfortable when there's an emphasis on something that's black or whatever, especially if it re relates to the slave trade or anything like that. And they, they may even want to counter or, or say the statement that, you know, is that really true? Or that makes me a little uncomfortable. Those are the kind of things that I think we shouldn't be uncomfortable with when it's just facts, it's history. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think Europeans remove themselves from it. Mm -hmm. They feel it's something that doesn't uh, belong to them. Yes. Interesting. I know we were talking with a, a fellow German and I spent some time studying abroad in Germany and the history of the Holocaust and World War II still is not easy to talk about and Germans still don't like to really discuss it or bring it up and I think that is because they know it was a really terrible thing that happened and I feel American like Caucasians in the United States may feel that way about our history and it is it is just facts it may not necessarily been our individuals or our families but it's still a history we all share and we have to live with Absolutely. History is the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we have to take it all. Mm -hmm. And it also leads to a misunderstanding that if you're talking about any other cultural, indigenous people, brown people, or uh, African-Americans, black people in the United States, that somehow it's something that would be seen as negative to the Europe people of European descent. That's not always true. Okay, if we're talking about the elements of slavery, it's just accepting fact as fact. 
Abraham Lincoln said, a fact, history is only history if it's factual. Okay, well then we have to accept that fact that if we're going to give you information and it is a fact, then just take it from that standpoint. Do you have any any insight on the comment or I guess the notation that history is written by the winners and that there is always some kind of, um, I guess there's a, a bias in the way history is written? Uh, well, uh, it's it, that's a true statement. Yes. And, and I think that's across the board that really has, you can't isolate that to Black history versus European history or any other history, it's, it's across the board. <laughs> so even if it's within a, a nation, uh, whoever won the battle within that nation, that's going, to be, that's going to happen. We just came back from Croatia in, um, in August. And so, yeah, you, we hear them talk amongst themselves about the, the great, what they call it, the great war um, and, and there are people on different sides of it. And, and they're, this didn't, this happened, what, about 30, 30 years, years ago. They're just celebrating their 30th um, uh, anniversary uh, from the, that civil war, but they don't call it the civil war. But you get people on different sides of it. So that's still being, writ being written. So uh, I guess it's, mm -hmm. it's left to see how that history will be told. Yeah, you just take an easy example for Americans to look at that it's not so controversial within ourselves the Vietnam War, which over there is called the American War or the American Invasion, uh, because we went into their country. What they learned North and South is totally different, but yet they welcome and embrace Americans, but they still at the same time recognize what was going on and what happened there. And I think that's true. Uh, the victor always gets to write the history. And I think we've been misinformed on the history of Africa, uh, indigenous people and African-Americans, yes. Gene, I want to well, jump back to, uh, Bob, did you have something? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, a comment you made earlier about uh, domestic, or I guess comfortability with travel and some of the apprehension, apprehensions that Black travelers have and the feeling of, I guess it's, it's easier to travel in a group and know where you're going. But do you have, or have people talked to you about the their comfortableness with traveling domestically within the United States versus internationally. Yes, and that's been seen as the big part of really, it's the misconception sometimes that African-Americans only want to or only travel domestically. But we have traveled domestically. Uh, we traveled domestically since the time we were first bought here, either on purpose or as enslaved. But for the most part, African-Americans love to go to destinations. We have groups and programs that are going north, south, east, and west. It used to be from the south going north. Now there's a lot of people who want to go visit the places in the south. The same cities and destinations you may want to visit, African-Americans will visit. We do a lot of programs going to places like New York, Washington, D.C. We just add the aspect of the African-American part of it to a lot of destinations because it exists in every city around the world. And yes, we're more comfortable sometimes traveling as a group, especially the older people, because that's the way we did it. It was packing up the family and packing up the group or traveling with the church, the sorority, the fraternity, or whatever, going to different places. And when we do an incentive program, a church program, uh, an educational program, you see a lot of people who go on these programs because they feel more comfortable traveling that way. Okay.
And what are some of the biggest international destinations that you're noticing? Well, South Africa uh, is is a big uh, destination. Dubai right now, especially because they're hosting the World Expo. Um, a lot of people are going there between now and the end of March. Uh, they carried it over from 2020 to 2021. Uh, Europe is always a, a big a big draw. Um, and I'm finding we, on a lot of our social media pages when uh, people are chiming in on destinations or places uh, that they want to go to, I think Thailand and uh, Bali or Indo Bali and Indonesia. Southeast Asia, the Pacific Rim is really good. As Javon mentioned, we did a very successful program to Croatia. We didn't know we had so many Game of Thrones fans oh, yeah. <laughs> on there. I mean, we got yeah. the problem. They want to follow the, what was it, the Walk of Shame yeah. tour. Yeah. I mean, we filled up the Walk of Shame tour from our private, we had our own private ship taking people around. We like to do things in a bubble. I've always done them that way because that way we can count, we can design our own programs. Yeah, that builds uh, really nice camaraderie too with the group as well. It does. When you, when you have people together like that and experiencing things together, it does. It makes it for a nice tribe and, and in a lot of ways it enhances the travel experience. Yeah, I'm, it I'm really gonna... does. I, that's something that we love to see um, our group just uh, getting together and hanging out uh, when we're finished with the tour day. Um, we used to have a gentleman that uh, we called him the chairman of the board. He would always call to order the meeting at the bar. <laughs> after <laughs> after the tour day was done. And, and just the way that everybody would really come together and share their stories and their family histories. We've had uh, couples who met and married, uh, later married uh, from meeting on our trips. We've had lifelong friendships that have been developed, people who still stay in contact with each other. And then, you know, also when they're coming together for the first time on a particular trip that we've done, uh, saying, oh, I remember you on this trip or I remember you on that trip. Some people go every year. Some people go twice a year or every other year, um, but they form lifelong relationships. I mean, we've been doing this for 22 years. and We have some people who've been on 20 trips. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we wow. have uh, wow. people who, who were with us earlier this year who are already signed up to join us in Dubai, uh, going to Ghana and all these different destinations. And it's because, like some people say, this is my vacation is with you guys. Yeah. And, the, and my travel family is your company. They like to travel with Advantage International or Traveling Culturati because they know that our programs are going to fit their needs and they're going to feel comfortable. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, think that, I think that group travel and especially Black group travel is a very loyal uh, traveler because, again, it's being comfortable with the group of people that you're traveling with. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to get That's into great. some of the misconceptions around black travel. Cause I, I know you guys have had to deal with them. What are some of the most common misconceptions and how do you typically respond to them? Well, I think the biggest misconception is that uh, African-Americans, black people do not travel. I mean, we represent $1.09 billion. And this is from a study done in 2019, leading into 2020 by a British group uh, in dollars that are spent on travel, both domestically and internationally. They found out also that we have a tendency as we become older and more upscale to spend even more money at the destinations than most other groups out there. So the belief that we only travel 
within a certain area. Like if you're from the Midwest, you're only traveling down to Alabama or Mississippi. If you're from Philadelphia or the East Coast, you're only going down to South Carolina, North Carolina to visit family, or maybe the Caribbean, or maybe a cruise. We're traveling all around the world. And that's, for me, the number one misconception. Yeah, and I, I think one of the others is that uh, the diversity within the group of Black travelers doesn't exist. Oftentimes, when you see uh, ads, or even when we talk to tourist boards, uh, there's a very narrow focus and view of who the Black traveler is and not recognizing that diversity. You know, for example, as I said earlier, we cater to a more upscale, uh, older Black traveler, uh, baby boomers and Gen Xs. Uh, of course, you, they're millennial uh, travelers. They're travelers that like solo. They're travelers that just like every... Every other group, it's as diverse a group as any other group of people. And I think that is missed um, a lot of times when we're talking to tourist boards sometimes with the media groups that we do. Um, and now we're talking about advertising and media dollars that are being spent. One hurdle we always have to get over is that, well, our destination doesn't really appeal to the black traveler. And it's because they don't know that there's diversity within the group or that there is a group of, of, of Black travelers who want long haul or who want uh, special interests. Um, yeah, like you talked about, talking about somebody about hiking. I mean, we have wanderlusters in the Black community also, yeah. yes. We have people who like to go hiking. We have people who like to go camping. We have people who want five-star and spa treatments. That's the group we cater to. But we also have people who are looking at three and four-star family vacations, destinations. We do incentive programs. We have black lawyers, black doctors, black real estate and co corporations where people travel and they do those things. I think the other big one is that somehow the whole American public is cookie cutter when it comes to African-Americans, but they don't feel that way about any other group. There can be a program set up for female. There can be programs for set up for other groups uh, that speak different languages. There can be even programs set up for gay, lesbian, bi, trans, and other groups, but they don't feel that way when it comes to African-Americans. So much so they'll say, oh, we, we appeal to you by going to the general market program. Huh. I wonder why that is. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's not recognizing the, the buying power until the last 20 or 30 years, and I was in broadcasting for, for 35 years, that nobody really want to recognize the buying power. You could be in Washington, D.C. or Philly, and you could have the Eddie Bauer store or the BMW dealership talking about how many African-Americans come in there and buy the product. But the corporation would never spend any money on it because they figure they didn't need to. They weren't the consumers right when they were seeing the, the information right in front of them. So when I say $1.09 billion is spent by African-Americans on travel, they say, that can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and Jean really knows this firsthand because prior to working with me in the travel industry and in our travel company, his career was uh, radio and radio sales and media, so media buys. Um, and this was firsthand information that he was hearing. Working with most, many of the top uh, black radio stations in Washington, DC, New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. So I knew firsthand what, we, we, what our consumers spend. So when we moved into travel, 
we already knew that was in there. One of our first trip had over 100 people going to South Africa at an average rate that was 150% of what the general market was paying. And they were, they were quite comfortable and used to spending that and staying in five-star locations. And many of our travelers on a recent trip we did, nearly half of them paid for business class to Croatia. Yeah. Wow. That was a natural part of what they're going to do. So it's really just, it seems like it's a, a lack of information or seeing the information. The information is there. It's just people are, are either ignoring it or not willing to believe it's true. Right. <laughs> I was going to say that seeing it and believing it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And again, you don't want to change things when you're comfortable with SRR. If you're working and you're with a major airline, hotel, or destination, you're working with your public relations or your ad agency, they don't want to move money into something because they already have it set up in their mind and you're asking them to make a change. And that change involves dollars and cents and people don't like to do that. Support for the Traveler's Blueprint is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, enjoyed 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Do not travel to the Netherlands or anywhere for that matter with untamed nether regions. Elliot and I do not, and we bring this with us on our trips. On the Traveler's Blueprint, we promote concise travel planning, and part of that planning is making sure you pack appropriately. The Lawnmower 4.0 is lightweight, has a travel lock, a light for close shaving, and a battery length that will last long into your trips. You got it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Your, your balls, balls will, will thank, thank you. you. <laughs> now, you said you've been doing this for 22 years, and I'm sure you've seen the industry change. Are you noticing now more black travel groups and this actually going in the progressive direction? Absolutely. And I'm really happy to see it. Uh, the trade expos that I mentioned earlier, I'm seeing more uh, representation of Black travel companies and, and Black travel companies who uh, cater to the Black traveler um, in, in the corporate world as, as well. So I, I'm really happy to see that. I know uh, that Dubai, for example, right now, they have a campaign that they're doing to attract the Black traveler. So the more we have these conversations, the more we're allowed to be on platforms like yours uh, to talk about these things. Because I think the, the number one problem is that this lack of diversity and inclusion isn't talked about. Yes. Uh, so the more it's talked about and the more people are seeing and experiencing the buying power of the Black traveler, the more they'll be open to designing ad campaigns uh, targeting the Black traveler. You'll see in uh, brochures now more uh, Black couples, Black families, Black singles um, in uh, these spaces. And, and we're seeing the pictures on, on the, the cover of magazines or in an article talking about travel. Oftentimes when I'm looking for images for my own promotional campaigns, it is extremely difficult to find those images with black people doing those same things. Even when I put in all the filters, if I put in black, I'll get a silhouette of a person in black. Um, it, wow. And now there are companies that are coming out specifically um, asking photographers 
to, um, to present their work showing black travelers at different destinations and in locations. This is a, a bit of a side tangent, but uh, my background is in landscape architecture and with landscape <laughs> architecture, we do a lot of photorealistic renderings to promote and tell the stories about our designs. And I remember in undergrad, we were having this conversation and we use these little entourages of Photoshop and different graphics to put people and make the scene lively. And I think it was one of my professors in my later years that pointed out that almost all of the graphics available online are primarily Caucasian people or Asian people. And there's very few mm -hmm. black people in these graphics. And it, it, ever since then, it's been maybe 10 years since then, and I have always noticed it. And still to this day, I haven't seen it change all that much, but it is changing. You're absolutely right. And and when you're trying to put together a promotional campaign, it becomes very hard. Um, and, and we make an effort to do it because we're targeting a certain demographic. Mm -hmm. And and we don't want to do that with images that don't look like them. Yeah, it can be rather insulting to a corporation when they're doing a program, a bar association, any other group, when they represent African-Americans, or even if they represent women or, or people of color, and all your pictures are white males, that kind of is, is an insult if you're doing a presentation, as you already related to talking about your industry. But look at it from our standpoint. If we're trying to sell people to go on a trip to Japan, and I can't show a one Black person having a good time in Japan, I have to go through my old photographs to find one because there's no <laughs> professional one from tourism. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Representation. But it's getting better every day. And, and you can see it with general, I'm in, from the advertising world. I see it every day in general market and regular advertising. I see more advertisements every single day that include people of color. That's true. That's they really do. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. We've had, we've had several discussions on this podcast about inclusivity, specifically in travel, but inclusivity in broader sense of media as well. Uh, so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about safety concerns. And I mean, I this question that we had in here was originally, what are some of the safety concerns but associated with black travel? But I want to ask it and rephrase it now that we've been talking for half an hour. Uh, are there any safety concerns that would be different than a traditional than a, any other traveler? Or are they the same concerns? Uh, well, there's always going to be safety concerns that are going to be across the board for a traveler, for mm -hmm. any traveler. Uh, but for a Black traveler, the first thing that comes to mind is, am I going to be faced with, with racism? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be in an unsafe environment because of racism? And the answer to that is yes. And, and so we always have to prepare ourselves for that. Um, is it is it overwhelmingly present uh, around the world? Uh, no, but do we have to to um, prepare ourselves for it? A absolutely. It certainly is more prevalent in the uh, United States. Uh, but I'll give you an example. We had a group to Senegal uh, several years ago. And unfortunately in this, it was a five-star hotel. I won't name the hotel, um, but there was a lot of um, shady business going on at the hotel with ladies of the night, if I, if I will uh -huh. say. Um, but the 
uh, other guests in the hotel, the, the, the male guests in the hotel were really approaching any black woman that they saw and propositioning her. And that included quite a few women in our group. And they wow. were very uncomfortable. And I took it to the hotel manager and because their assumption was that you're black, you're here, you, this is what you're, you're female, this is what you're here for. Yeah, it's a five-star hotel. Um, and the manager, hotel. the manager was not very receptive uh, to us. And, and it got very ugly in that particular circumstance because the men in our group became very protective of us. And there was a confrontation with two of the gentlemen who were doing it very consistently. And they were giving out their room number so we knew exactly who they were. But the hotel manager refused to do anything about it because he said, I could lose my job. That's You know, they deal with the clientele that they were. Now, general things are still going to happen. Pickpocketing, whatever like that. Uh, in a lot of instances where people sit around and say, yeah, but you're a Black person walking down the street. They're not going to pick on you. Well, if you're in a European or Asian country, they know you're a tourist. So we have right. to have our own version of the talk when we're going to be. We don't, you don't walk around with flashy jewelry. You don't go to the ATM machine and, uh, and, uh, by yourself. And, and you don't flash out a lot of the cash. I know it looks like Monopoly money, but it is not. <laughs> so don't take, don't take uh, 500,000 won and just keep saying, look at all this. Look at all this that I got for $500, whatever. You have to have that. We have gone from a time where we didn't travel, we traveled only in groups in safety, where we traveled to the, with the Green Book, and a lot of people now know because of the movie what that is. And we still, until the 70s, we, we were afraid of sundown towns. And I think Javon has a story where you can tell you where she actually hit a sundown town in the, in the, in the last few years. Yeah, a few years back, uh, I was traveling with my team, videographer and my um, uh, co-host and we were doing the Pony Express and the we were driving in Nevada um, we rented a vehicle and we wanted to do the road trip so when we came into the town of Eureka there was a sign that said Eureka the friendliest town along the Pony Express well we pulled over just to take a photo of the picture and a police officer came from nowhere and pulled up and asked us, what are we doing? We're like, well, we're taking a picture of the sign. The well, why are sign. you here? Well, we're tourists and we're taking a picture of the sign. And it's like, well, how long are you gonna be in town? I mean, we were really asked all of these questions and ironically that it was called the friendliest town along the Pony Express. Wow. Um, we, it was a small town. I mean, you were in and out of it very quickly. We didn't stay overnight there, but we did stop. And we were asked to stop because we were supported by uh, the Pony Express at a restaurant. We were followed, the police car tailed us. And when we came out of the restaurant, he was still there and we got an escort out of town. Just wanted to make sure you leave before sundown. <laughs> this was just five years ago. And of course, we can laugh, but we shouldn't be laughing. But this is something that anybody probably over the age of 25, 30, who's driven any places and different things has felt that consideration. Uh, basically, it's no longer says be out of sundown on the sign, the welcome farewell sign. Uh, if you're brown or black, be out of sundown brown. Uh, no, it's more of a situation where people will follow you and uh, you'll get a glancing eye that basically reminds you that uh, this is not your town. Yeah, I mean, there are so many stories, some that aren't of safety concern, but that are just 
annoying and irritating. Um, like if you're, uh, some of our travelers who are in business class oftentimes uh, have to really show that boarding pass when they try to make that left turn. They're like, no, you could go this way. And there's this disbelief that, you know, and this double take at your boarding pass to make sure that, okay, you, uh, you belong in business class. And you get that often. Or if you're standing in line um, in the business or first class aisle to be asked the question, um, excuse me, this is the, the business class line. Yeah, I know. No one else has asked that question yeah. or present or, or, or approached in that way. We get it a lot. Yeah, especially wow. when we have eight, 10 or 12 people in, in business class and it only holds 30, 40 people. And they look around and they say, why are all these black people in the first or business class line on an international flight where it's seven, eight, nine, $10,000 per seat? Well, because we paid for it. And that's what our group <laughs> That's do. it, yeah. yeah and you don't get that consideration. <laughs> I remember a time when Javon and I were dressed in business suits on a flight with the airline way back. And there were people there in warm-up suits and we were asked. And we were dressed like we belonged in business class and they were dressed like they were going to be riding in, in the back of the plane, but they weren't asked, uh, are you sure you should be in this line? Huh. It's so, saddening to hear. It yeah. is, but I think the, the more it happens, like we've talked about, I think there is promise that these perceptions will be changing and are changing. And hopefully in the not too distant future, there won't be, I, I won't say there won't be any questions because any kind of absolute will never happen. <laughs> yeah, because people, but hopefully it'll be much less. Well, well so certainly. True. And then and the more you see something, the more, I'll say, normal. <laughs> it looks to other people and therefore they won't question it as 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 much. Uh, not that, that it shouldn't be normal anyway, uh, because if you have a boarding pass that has that seat assignment, then that should just be it, not a question about it. That's true. I, I want to jump back to the Green Book and the Sundown Town conversation a little bit because I think after Green Book in 2018 uh, had won those Academy Awards, I think there was some revitalization of discussion on the Green Book. And I didn't know about it until then. I didn't know what it was and never heard of Sundown Towns. And uh, is there, have there been any kind of inspired travel guides based on the Green Book? Well, yes, it's, it's, there's a new traveler's uh, green book. <laughs> is there? Okay. Uh, yes, there, yes. there is a, a new one and uh, an effort to not only, of course, it has to be re-envisioned uh, and, and it has been so that the black traveler also has a guide to black owned establishments as well. Oh, okay. Um, so that when they go into a town, they can find a restaurant or they can find Black history sites and attractions, um, historical landmarks and placards. Because also traveling globally, what happens sometimes is there's not going to be a huge statue, but there may be a placard on a wall that's that right. will give you a piece of history. So that's what the new Green Book uh, is, is uh, focused to do. Okay. I did not know that. That's very cool. And mm -hmm. something that I, I want to ask, too, before we end up getting off, about history. Uh, when you're taking people on these historical tours and you're, you're enlightening them on, on history that's more relative uh, or they can relate to, uh, have, you, have you identified any specific historical story that really wows people from any country, United States, somewhere in Europe, South Africa? Is there anything where people, 
they just didn't know it and it was just really like a significant eye-opening experience for them so I many think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you got another hour yeah <laughs> but certainly in egypt uh you know again our focus uh, because we are catering to the Black Traveler, is the Nubian history. And when you go to the Museum of Antiquities, the standard guides will take you to the Roman empires, the Greek empires, um, and that part of the history. Um, we seek out the guides who are going to look for that Nubian history. So we go to areas in the Museum of Antiquities that talk about um, Upper and Lower Egypt and when they were uh, united and the Nubian, uh, the kingdom of Kush, for example, um, or Queen T, who was a Nubian queen, the first to sit equally on the throne. And then we also do the same thing when we do the Nile River cruise. We do the Nile River cruise from Aswan to Luxor or Luxor to Aswan, but we also do the Lake Nasser cruise part, for part of it, which goes further south into uh, from Abu Simbel to Aswan. And that's where you're going to get more black history of, of Egypt uh, because the, the history that's told of Egypt is more from the Roman empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or, or the Greek, uh, Ptolemaic period. Yeah. So you, you've got Alexandria, but that's Greek. You've got, you've got King Tut, uh, you've got Cleopatra. They, one quarter, one whatever, Greek. I mean, it's sort of like looking at uh, the empire in, in Europe or something from the standpoint of those who came after mm -hmm. or those who took over from the original people. So you you know you you don't have the, the the real history going back. But even more recently, when we go to France, we can look at the the black influence in Paris and in France of the 1920s. You know, there were tens of thousands of African Americans who came to Paris in World War One, and their influence remains to this day in the nightclubs and other things, not just Josephine Baker, but great writers and great poets and great. Uh, uh, musicians who were part of European history all the way through to this day, including in Germany and Holland and Belgium and Great Britain. I mean, the, the, if you look at the modern aspects of, of England itself and, and some of the towns and some of the areas in London that are famous now, they are famous because of the diaspora, people from the Caribbean mm -hmm. and from Africa who came up. But even African history is Javon related to. African history didn't start in 1400 or whatever when the Portuguese and others came there. It existed for, for 15,000, 24,000 years. I, I think a part when Eugene was talking about uh, France and, and Paris, when we had the Harlem Renaissance period here, a lot of our great literaries, uh, artists uh, relocated to, to France and to Paris. And there's some wonderful... Uh, tours and programs that you can uh, uh, see there. And, and people are very surprised by that when we've taken our groups and they learn the wealth of history of African-Americans that relocated to Paris. And it also mm -hmm. goes to places like Toronto. People don't think about the Caribbean influence on Toronto and how it is today. Yeah. Uh, we had a president that said to his State Department head, I didn't know there were so many Black people in Brazil, okay. Uh, it's the majority <laughs> of the population are of African descent in the country of Brazil, larger than the US. I did not know that. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, 
So something that I, that I feel <laughs> as though I learned, not necessarily learned today, but um, really am thinking about now, it's not that I got one history compared to the other. There aren't two histories. It's just that I have an incomplete picture of of history. And so I have a lot of a lot of research to go back and and look into. Um, well, I want to take essentially... that, that statement into okay. a question because okay. I am it. curious, and I, this may seem like a, a weird or dumb question, but do you have uh, white individuals asking to come and do tours and trips with you? We we have had a few, um, and we we are while our. Um, focus and goal is for the black traveler uh, we don't exclude anybody That's like right. it's our tours and programs are open um but yes we do occasionally uh, but but the question becomes is can i <laughs> how will i be perceived I was like, yeah. as a traveler and you'll be welcome and will i be comfortable yes of course you'll be yeah. comfortable <laughs> because we've been comfortable ourselves as we talked about traveling in the white world or, or european american uh, as Black American travelers for decades and generation after generation. We know how to be comfortable, so we don't know how to make people uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Very well yeah. said. Love it. But also we have travelers with spouses who are not uh, Black. Yes. And they take a lot of notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would be I mean, taking notes. Right. Yeah, what Bob, what Bob <laughs> just said about having that incomplete picture. I mean, I feel like taking these tours with you, going to these different destinations in domestically and internationally would fill in a lot of those gaps. Yeah. And keep in mind, we do not do just one version of it. Ours is not a black only tour. It's inclusive of all the yeah. information. So when we go to Paris, yes, we're going to go to the Eiffel Tower, we're going to go to the Louvre, we're going to look at the French Revolution, we're going to look at everything going back through all the Louis and Charles and all the different people who ruled France over the last 2000 years. But we're going to have a day where we include some of that history of the African influence on Paris. We're going to go to the Museum of Antiquities and the Nubian Museum, and we're going to cover, of course, we're going to see King Tut's uh, uh, um, crown and all these different things in here is mask and whatever but we're also going to like john said we're going to see the nubian side so we have people who follow us around because they said what i paid for the same tour before and i didn't get any of this yeah it seems like your college is a little different it seems like your tours should be the standard <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah right <laughs> right <laughs> It's yeah. all there right in front of us. We don't go visit it. I mean, when we go to a section of the museum, we may be the only group that's there. And it's really 20, 30 percent of the museum, because if you think about the, the Nubian part of Egypt, for example, the Greek portion and the Roman portion were only the last 1000 years. Egypt's been around for 4000, almost 5000 years. So what mm -hmm. happened in all that other period? Ramses yeah. the Great, all these people were mm -hmm. not Greek. They were not Roman. But it, it is difficult to to find, and sometimes we have to find two companies to do one thing. That's right. Uh, for example, in, in Spain, uh, we have DMCs that we work with, but they don't know any of this history, or they have to then hire a specialist in that particular area. And in some cases, we find the specialist and have them uh, integrated into our program. That's right. Uh, so it, it is difficult to find uh, because you have to find individuals who are historians slash tour guides with that special interest. <laughs> That's, right. yep. That's the interesting part.
I, I I love what you're doing, um, and this conversation has been very insightful. Very yes. <laughs> We're going to give you a minute to promote your website and your your content, but before we do that, we have a surprise rapid fire question round that we go through with all of our guests. We, we don't tell you about it on purpose. So uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll flip flop uh, asking the questions and the two of you can, I guess, take turns answering first if you want. Uh, that's up to you. Okay. Elliot, do you want me to go first? You got it. All right. So uh, Javon, I'll ask you directly. Uh, and Elliot, how about that? So I'll ask Javon first. You, you ask you, and then we'll yep. go, we'll go back and forth. So, uh, John, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Education. Oh, that's a nice, nice answer. Yeah. Yeah. Travel is learning. Gene. Yes. Oh, experience. All right. Perfect. All right, Gene, what home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? My bed. <laughs> <laughs> As nice as the beds are, and we always are in five-star hotels, there's something about your own bed and your own pillow it really is. that you're going to miss. Yeah. When, and, and I've been away as much as a month with groups back to back to back. Yeah. I don't think there's a traveler that can't relate to you. Yes. Yeah, we all <laughs> yeah. know that feeling. And Javon. Same. My bed. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing yep. like that first night in your own bed when you right. come back from a trip. That's right. <laughs> Javon, if you could swim like, in any um, liquid, what would it be? Say that again. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Oh, any liquid. I'll stick to water. <laughs> All right. Gene? I thought you would say Starbucks coffee, vintage sim latte, but oh. uh, actually for me, I think my new favorite is the GNC. I just love that water. Oh, all right. Ooh. Nice, mm -hmm. nice. Crystal clear and buoyant. I mean, you could float for days. Yeah, lots of salt. <laughs> and All I'm right. a scuba diver who sinks because of blackmail bone restriction. <laughs> All right, Gene, what travel book had the biggest influence on your life? Oh, uh, Places to See Before You Die, I think was a big one. Yeah. Uh, actually, I went through that one. Was it 500 Places to See Before You a thousand. Die? A thousand Places to See Before You Die. Uh, it's been out a long time now, and I think we tried to go through every aspect of it. I love that book. Okay. Javon? Javon? Uh, I'm looking at it on my table now. It's uh, The Life and Style in Soweto, yeah. um, and it, it has a special place for me uh, because uh, Africa was uh, South Africa was the first destination that we did as a, uh, where we took a group, and our beloved tour company that we worked with for 15 years, the, the head person, Joe Matsogi, just passed away. And he's in that book. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll have to look at both of those. Yeah, that's my, probably my favorite question because you always get such great, great recommendations. Yeah. All right, uh, Javon, say hello in your favorite language. San Bonani, South Africa. Okay. Mm. Gene. Oh, gosh. Uh, I was going to say San Bonani as a school <laughs> assistant. Uh, it's okay. It's more of a greeting, uh, Sawadika, which is Thai. All right. Thai. Yes. All right. Gene, if you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? Uh, Javon. <laughs> <laughs> Solid answer. Yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, I, I, I'm going to go with the Obamas. Yeah. In addition nice. to Gene. Yeah. Right, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. 
two columns balancing be, now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, it's my turn. All right, uh, Javon, what is one item remaining on your bucket list? Oh, the uh, Loire Valley, France. Oh, yeah. Wine. I've been to France many times, but I haven't been to the Loire Valley. And you just said it. Wine, cheese, fields oh. of flowers, and staying in a chateau. That's what I want to do. That sounds delightful. <laughs> uh, for me, it would have to be something we hope to next out, take out next we're, uh, year, which would be Gorilla Trek and Rwanda. Oh, we've had to put it off several times. Things have happened, uh, but we're going to make it happen. That's high on uh, Bob's list. Listen, it's very high on my list. So shoot <laughs> us an email when you get that rolling. I will. <laughs> it's going to be great. You can only take five or six people at a time, so we'll squeeze in. Come on, that, right. let us keep us in the loop because that—that's something that I've talked to Elliot about so many times. So many times. <laughs> uh, where are we? All right. Okay. Oh, so, Gene. Gene, if you could pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would you choose? Oh, goodness gracious. My <laughs> age bracket. Um, Anybody. For fun, it would be, for fun, it would be Samuel L. Jackson, but he curses a lot. So I guess I have to yeah. go with Denzel because I don't drink and I don't curse and I don't think he does either in most films. <laughs> All right. I'll go with Vanessa Williams. Yeah, I think that's a natural. <laughs> nice. All right. Good choices. Uh, Javon, if you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? Oh, boy. Yeah. One city for the rest of, of yeah, that, that really is, is tough. Uh, I'm going to go with my hometown, D.C. Nice, nice. Gene. Yeah. Uh, if not allowed to pick the same one, of course, we want to spend uh, together forever, uh, D.C. I think it would have to be uh, domestically Chicago and probably internationally, that's going to be a strange one, Cape Town. Nice. Okay. In South Africa, yes. Yeah. All right. And Gene, last question. What is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago? Uh, save more and travel more. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sky's the limit. Uh, just don't limit yourself. All right. Yeah. Sound advice from Gene. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And as Bob mentioned earlier, take this time to tell everyone where they can find you, how they can reach out to you, where they can learn more about you and your trips. Absolutely. Our company website is advantage-intl.com. So again, that's advantage-intl.com. Social media. And our social media uh, is the same, Advantage International. Um, we also have a marketing platform, Traveling While Black. Okay. And we're going to tag all that in the show notes to the episode. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Thank the two of you. Thank you both for coming on the show. Learned a ton. Incredibly insightful. Uh, great conversation. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you thank for you having thank us. You, it's Elliot. been such a pleasure. It's been great. Thank you. I need to go to Rwanda, man. But, but on a more serious note, I found this conversation to be insightful. And I really am thankful to both of them for adding to my travel awareness. Uh, and I think it's made me a more thoughtful traveler already just by having this conversation. Yeah, I would 100% agree. I mean, it reminds me of our cultural pro appropriation around table and our conversation with uh, Jeanette. On, yeah, absolutely. Right. On inclusivity and travel. Right, right. Yeah. It, it, it opens your eyes. And then when you actually get out there in the real world, you're able to 
to bring this information, have this information in your mind, and it just makes the experience all the better. Yeah, and I do really want to take a trip with them because it seems like they have so much more historical context than what we're used to getting at these either landmarks or museums or any of these other places. Right. We were getting half the pie, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. like a, a piece pie. of the pie. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I want my cake and I want to eat it too. So great conversation. Um, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you're one, if, if you want to support us in even a non-financial way, you can do so simply by liking our posts or uh, reviewing us on iTunes. In addition to that, we do have the option to make a financial donation to us through Patreon. You can do as little as $1 a month. And that contribution goes to helping us, you know, um, run edit, the podcast, run the podcast, yeah, all the things associated with that. But regardless, thank you for listening. We do appreciate that and tune in next week.